Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag podcast presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 41 of Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I am your host, Nicole Escobar, and today I am with my usual co-host, Kristen Torres, but we have a special guest again, Stevie Esler. But before we get into saying hey to Stevie, Kristen, how are you doing? Great, great. So glad to be here. Feels like it's been a little bit. So It has. We had a little vacation last month and I hope it was much needed. I know at least on my end, but um, I'm so happy to see you. (laughs) Me too. Happy to see you too. Not me. (laughs) I know, right? I know. Yeah. Just a reminder before we get started that everything that we're talking about today really is for educational purposes. It's not official advice because we're probably not, we don't know your specific story. And so we just want to make sure that this does not take the place of any advice from your doctor or therapist. So we want you to get that personalized um, um, attention if that's, if that's what you need. So, but we're glad you're here. Absolutely. Thank you. So, hey, Stevie, we're so happy that you're here. How are you doing? Are you happy to be back joining us again, talking about these tough topics? Thanks for having me back. Uh, yeah, no, I'm into tough topics. I'm here for it. I know, right? I, I say that too in, my, in this. It's like I'm here for it because there's a goal and there's a purpose, and that's to serve our community. So as we dive into this episode, we are going to uncover some of the false beliefs that we have believed over the years about ourselves and about our sexual abuse. Now, we recorded this type of episode or similar episode way back. Now, we're going, you know, this podcast has been on since 2018. And so when we first recorded this similar episode, we had similar topics, different co-hosts. So we had different perspectives and we just wanted to revisit this topic um, because no matter where you are on the healing journey, no matter how many times you've heard this, it's a great reminder. And honestly, it can be used to combat false beliefs that aren't even associated with sexual abuse. I was reading the book that we use, the shelter book. I just was reviewing it and just going over a couple of chapters. And I'm currently going through several different things that are overwhelming me and feeling, you know, I'm feeling all kinds of fear and really believing false beliefs that aren't true. And I like looked at this chapter and I was like, wow, I need this for this. I need to use the principles that are here to teach me how to do this, even in other things that don't pertain to sexual abuse. But obviously we want you as a survivor to overcome false beliefs because that is what will truly set you free. This is, this was like, like life changing for me. So the four sexual, the four false beliefs that we're going to go over are it's my fault I must have been a terrible person for him or her to have done this to me. I wanted him or her to do this to me and it didn't happen. So I must have made it up. 
So before we get into each one, Kristen, tell us what someone can do to replace false beliefs in their mind and teach themselves how to replace false beliefs with truths. Sure. Yeah, I'm going to give you guys kind of like a basic um, cognitive behavioral um, technique to do this with. But something I do want to say, though, um, as I think I probably say on most everything I say, is that um, I wish it were really an easy process, um, particularly when we're talking about traumatic things. Um, This is not always an easy thing to do um, at all. And so I say that to say for a couple of reasons. Um, First of all, if you're finding this challenging to do, replacing false beliefs with what's true, um, that's because this is a challenging thing to do. Um, And the other part of it is, is that a lot of times we really have to address the trauma that has happened and really get some healing um, because trauma is um, much heavier and deeper than simply cognitive it doesn't just have cognitive effects, like in our thinking, it has effects in our emotions and our physical being. And so, um, all, you know, a lot needs to be addressed a lot of times for these things to change, but a place where we can start is if you were to simply write down, like you have a chart with like three columns on it and do a false beliefs, like automatic, like, um, negative beliefs that you may think like it's all my fault. And then a trigger, you know, there may be a specific trigger that happens for you, um, where that false belief comes up for you. Like it may be when you think back to the abuse or when you hear someone else talking about sexual abuse, um, or if something in a particular, like intimate relationship that you're in, um, come the topic of intimacy comes up and that thought, like it was my fault, you know, whenever I think back, this memory, I think is about it, it being my fault. So that's your trigger. So the negative belief is, is my fault. The trigger is whatever it is for you. And then what you do with that third column is you write down what's actually true. You know, it wasn't, it was not my fault. I didn't do this. You know, I was young, that kind of thing. You want probably a simple statement there rather than a whole lot. But I got to tell you again, sometimes it's hard. It's, it takes some work and some processing and some therapy and some support and prayer and so forth to get to that, that, col- that third column and really have it stick. So sometimes we have to revisit this process again, almost like reminding ourselves like, hey, that false, I know that's a false belief. It automatically like quickly comes to me, but I know this is what's true. But if you're struggling to get there, that would be normal because it's just, this is hard stuff. Yeah. Stevie, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So it's crazy because I, you know, like whenever I really started my counseling journey was 10 years ago and 10 years ago, like I really felt my world like flipped upside down again. Um, you know, and, and not in the sense of that, I feel like I lost everything, but now I'm learning about myself and how I cope in the here and now, how I coped back in the day. And then also now how I'm going to cope in the future. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot, like, that was a lot for me. Like that was a lot for me. And 
man, the process, like, and for me, like the processing, like, I mean, of course, like we're, we tell ourselves so many lies. I mean, every day, it doesn't, it's not just even about like sexual abuse. It's about everything. Like we're going to tell, and as women, like we'll tell ourselves even more lies about physical, physical stuff. I mean, everything it's just, I feel like we're constantly telling ourselves lies, lies. And we think that everyone else is telling them to us, but it's like, no, really, it's really all from my own headspace that I'm making these lies in my head. And, but something like I had to do is I had to kind of, I had to kind of clean house a little bit. And for me, like during, like whenever I first started counseling too, um, I had to do like no, like I didn't drink alcohol for a little bit. Like I had, I needed like, I needed a clear headspace. Like I really needed a clear headspace and not that I was an alcoholic. I mean, like I just, I'm I'm a social drinker, but it was like, you know what you're going to have. I remember my counselor telling me, Hey, there's going to be some like deep, deep rooted like lies and things that you have heard that you have heard yourself say to yourself that you're going to process this stuff and you're going to want to sometimes just shut it off completely. And so that's where numbing can become a big thing. And so I had to like learn like what that looked like for me and for that, you know, so it's like, so I would take all these categories and then I'm like, okay, well also I'm a really physical type person is like, I want to be in the gym. I want to eat healthy and so I think a lot of like your physical health has to do with your mental health. And so that's where I kind of like had my separate category too. It's like my lines. And then I also had my, okay, am I being healthy right now? Like, am I eating good food? Am I giving myself good nutrients? Am I working out? You know, it's like legally blonde, you know, endorphins, endorphins make you happy and happy people don't murder people. I mean, it was, a, it's the funniest line, but that's one of my favorite lines because it's, I think about that often, like whenever I'm active and doing things, my mind doesn't go into a whole other crazy, uh, into another crazy realm where I'm thinking, I don't want to say toxic thoughts, but like toxic and toxic and bad thoughts. Yeah. 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 Great, great feedback. And I would definitely sec, I like love everything you said there. Get your, if you're, if you're on this journey and you've got certain addictions and things like that, I would start with cleaning house. I don't know how that looks for you and I wouldn't do it cold Turkey. So I don't know what that looks like. Obviously seek a counselor and get wisdom guidance on that. Um, but it's important because there's times just like Stevie said, I had to, I had to do a very similar thing. I had to take inventory of what was stealing my time and stealing my joy and also make numbing me out. And it could have been movies. It could have been, you know, like one thing I, my husband and I do, and we didn't even notice we were doing it was when we are cleaning or whatever, we walk around with our phones with a, with a TV, with a movie on or something or a show on like me, like the housewives or something. And I realized what, what good is that doing for me? Is that benefiting me in any way? And it was such a simple thing, but taking inventory and stock of what is stealing your time and stealing your, um, goals and your dreams and could it be influencing your false beliefs? Could it be adding to them by making them even more toxic? Okay, so let's look at each one. So the first one is, it's my fault. So victims, whether they are adults or children at the time of the abuse, typically accept total responsibility for their abuse. They'll say things like, if I hadn't been there, if I hadn't answered the door. So that was something that plagued me for many, many years before I had walk through healing and recognize, okay, wow, that was a false belief. That's not truth. 
Um, I would say things to myself, like if I hadn't gone in the bush or if I hadn't played with him, if I hadn't um, been in that, you know, that the bike gang that I was in. And the reality is, is that I was in, I, I played with many kids and they didn't sexually abuse me. I played in the bike gang and, and none of the other boys violated me. When I walked over to the guy's car and he was masturbating, I've shared the story multiple times. You know, I've given directions to many people before and they haven't taken advantage of that and violated me. So I had to remind myself that those things, you know, weren't my fault. Stevie, how about you? Did you ever have to deal with this first false belief? Yeah, um, very much like, you know, like again, later down the road, it was like, because during, in the, during whenever it's happening, you don't think any of this stuff whatsoever. Like it's, you're so, oh man, your mind is so twisted, um, which is so sad. But yeah, whenever I remember thinking, especially whenever I, when I was maybe in like high school and college and a lot of people didn't know my story or didn't know, really know what was going on. And I thought a ton, like this was my fault. Maybe I was just like, I don't know, a tease, but I was freaking eight years old whenever this stuff started. So like clearly not a tease as an eight-year-old. Like I look at, I mean, I look at my niece who's about to turn seven. I'm like, she's little, like that's a little kid. Um, Yeah. So definitely like a lot of, should I have done that? Like, should I have kept on playing, even though I kind of was sensing when I got older that it was wrong? You know, it's like the, yes, every single lie that you're going to, that, we've all, we've all heard it, especially whenever it's not, when we think it's our fault, like it's, it's our fault. It's our fault. It's our fault. And it's not like, I'm sorry. It's not, not even whenever you're in college, like it's not, not, or you're a woman and you walk up on someone masturbating in a car, like that's not on you. That is not on you. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think we go to that though, believe, I think because it gives us some feeling of control I know you guys probably know this already, but it's like, I think we go to those beliefs, right? Like it was somehow, somehow my fault so that I could feel like I had more control than I did in this situation, you know, because it's very scary to acknowledge like, oh my gosh, I was powerless, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's intense. That's intense to meaning to recognize, um, our powerlessness in these situations. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that because I think that, I think it was you one day on a podcast, Kristen, where you said that the powerless thing. And I remember being like, I I can't remember if I talked to you after about this. And I was like, I can't fully admit that I was powerless. I'm not okay. Like I felt all sorts of out of control by saying that. Like I felt, I felt um, weak. I felt like, like, a sense, well, I felt in not innocent, but I felt like not the girl, the badass that I want to be today, you know? And when I finally said that I was powerless, it was like the ultimate surrender for me. Like, and it felt good. Yeah. I remember fighting it for so many months. Like, it's okay to say that, but it was like, but you're, that's weak. You don't want to say that. And then I finally just said it. And I was like, it's okay. Like, right. it doesn't mean anything. Well, and I think when, when we are able to say that, then you're able to work on regaining your power, right? you know, and your footing and, and you're able to implement boundaries. It's empowering to actually acknowledge that at that, in those situ in that situation, that 
that abusive situation, I was powerless, mm-hmm. right. but that is no longer, you know, that's not who I am. That's no longer my, my story. Yeah. Right. And that's when, like, I always tell people, you want to take back control of your story. And that's mm-hmm. one of the ways that you do it right there mm-hmm. is by surrendering to what it was by, by accepting what it was, which is, it wasn't your fault. You were powerless. You had no control. You couldn't have stopped it. Even if you wanted to, if maybe your body froze, you, your body could not have done anything else. So if you accept all that and then you go, okay, now I'm going to take back control. Then this is how I'm going to do it. Cause that's what I did. And, And I know it's changed everything for me, everything. And I'm sure Stevie, you would totally admit you would agree with that. Oh Yeah. For sure. It is like, it's the regaining control and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, I feel the same thing, Nicole. I'm like, I'm a badass. Like I'm running a company, I'm doing stuff. Like I, you know, it's like, I, I don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel powerless. Like I don't want to feel the, I don't want to feel powerless, especially now, like, especially now. Um, Yeah. So it's, it is very much, I get it. Yeah. I'm right there, right there with you. Okay. So the next one is I must've been a terrible person for him or her to have done this to me. So this is definitely debilitating for a child because oftentimes children accept the idea that an adult would never do something harmful or bad or wrong. And generally when children difficulty accepting, yeah, difficult. What did I say? You said they just accept it, right? I mean, difficult. Yeah, difficulty accepting. Yeah, that a, a parent could or an adult could do something wrong. And generally, when children think of an adult has done something bad, they think somehow it was because they did something bad to cause it to happen. Mm-hmm. So this false belief, I definitely struggled with because I never really had that. I always had really great parents. I always had um, good influences and adults in my life. It wasn't the adults who sexually abused me. It was, you know, a peer basically. Um, But adults who have also experienced abuse can also experience this tendency. Frequently victims accept the false belief that an abuser or someone they admire, maybe spiritually, um, for example, a church secretary knew that she shouldn't have worn, you know, a top maybe so revealing, or she told herself that she shouldn't have worn a top so revealing. So the pastor wouldn't have had sexual thoughts about her. So when I heard that one, I said, ah, I relate to that one because I've had multiple bosses sexually harass me and I was in scrubs. So, you know, I used to tell myself, maybe you shouldn't tuck in your shirt, your shirt. Maybe you shouldn't have laughed so loud. Maybe you shouldn't have done those things. And it wasn't until walk through healing that I recognized he was a predator. He was the one who was violating my um, trust in him as my employer. And he took advantage of that special relationship because a lot of times in those relationships, you do laugh when a boss says certain things and it may be flirty because you're like, I don't want to get fired. (laughs) You know, you, especially when they threaten certain things. Cause I know my boss at the time would say things like gaslighting. Like you don't think HR would even think that you're telling the truth over me. Right. And I would be like, (laughs) Oh, it doesn't even have to go that far. And I would just like walk away. And now I'm thinking, that way he was totally gaslighting me to make me think like, how disgusting are you, you little floozy that anybody would believe you over me. I'm the doctor here. Right. 
Well, and I mean, I would even go as far as like coaches, like coaching. I mean, look at the whole gymnastics scandal that happened. I mean, that's, that breaks my heart. I mean, that literally breaks my heart. You had coaches and team doctors. I mean, you had the whole spectrum of people who these girls trusted. I mean, these are their parental figures essentially in their lives right now. And they, they completely, completely abuse the situation, abusing girls. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a whole other, like a whole other, like almost podcast series that we could do on that. But that, I mean, at the end of the day, like that's a coach, like someone who was in an above person position of power to the power. Mm -hmm. It's power. It's, and that was a, that, that, that's a power play. Cause I also didn't have this. Like I, mine wasn't from an adult. Mine was from a dude that was a handful of years older than me. Um, so I didn't think of him as an adult, like who had power over me really. Um, although looking back, I'm like, yeah, you said words like keep a secret and stuff like that. So that is for sure power, but it wasn't the, you know, it, it wasn't, I was a terrible person and this must've happened, you know, but right. Yeah. I also want to go on top of that thing that you just talked about with coaches. Um, that can also be because there are influential in that child's life. So they can go from being a super positive force in their life as in, you know, if they don't, if a child or a person doesn't have a great family life, that could be, you know, the place where they go to find support, friendship, you know, kindness, even maybe mentorship. And that person has taken advantage of it by, you know, I've heard oftentimes girls say, you know, the coach would pick my, you know, underwear out of my butt when I was, you know, in my swim trunks, because that was like a swimming suit that they, and they would take the underwear out of their butt and like pull out their wedgie and be like, oh, and it was small things like that. They'd tap them on their butt and be like, good job. But that was small ways that they broke down broke down their boundaries or broke down their, um, sensitization for it. And, um, that is very common with coaches who take advantage of their role in that child's life. And it wasn't because that child was a terrible person that this stuff happened, but I can see how them see, I can see how that is a power play in there, or that is like a, a mind screw by saying, you know, this is my coach. How could, what did I do to cause this? All right. So yeah, go ahead. Did you yeah, I was going to say, I, I think to um, this a bit, this thinking I must've been a terrible person, like something about me caused this, I think does go back again to that wanting to have some sense of control. And I think that's also the message that that's given, you know, in, receiving the abuse, even though you may be told you are a special person to me, this is why this is happening, or I'm doing this to you, right? That is sometimes the message that's literally told, um, or how the abuser tries to make the victim feel that they are special. This is something special between them and so forth. But inevitably, the message that is infused, even if it's not said, is something is wrong with you. You know, so the, why, that's why this happened to you. That's where the shame comes from and so forth. And I think, again, to have this this false belief come, I must have been terrible. There's something wrong with me to why, for why this happened. It is, again, trying to have some, some feel like you have some level of control and trying to understand why it happened. It is really scary when we, um, I think, experience life and don't understand why, right? 
even as adults who are not going through abuse, there, there are things that we go through. We, we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to go through those, these things. And I think that's why we try to come up with lots of explanations for things oversimplifying, but this is absolutely a false belief. This is absolutely a lie. Anyone that has been a victim of any sort of abuse, this was not something that was deserved or because you are a horrible, terrible person. And let me also be clear too. I can say this again and again, for some of you guys, you may be hearing this and be like, yeah, that's, that's not me though. No, you don't know my story. You don't, you don't understand for me, that is who I am, you know? So please know that this is, this is a, these are difficult at times. These or for some people, these are really difficult beliefs to, to move away from, Yeah, but it is possible. It, uh, yeah. is, it is possible in a way from it's just if, you. if you're struggling with that with holding on to these false beliefs, it, it it sometimes is part of the process. Yeah. And I and it's and it's not a it's not a fast process for everyone. I right. think that's like that's it's a big, hard. that's like probably one of my biggest encouragements. Anytime I talk to anyone who's had sexual abuse in their background. And I I mean, I always ask about counseling. Like, number one, it's like, are you doing counseling? And then I usually ask them like how long they've been going to counseling or how long they've kind of, cause I just, I'm, I'm also, I'm curious. Like I want to see how long people are taking. And then I, I also kind of do it for my, so I can tell them like, oh yeah, like I'm still on a process of healing. Like I've been in counseling intent. I mean, intensive counseling for a first few years, but this, I'm like on a, I'm on a 10 year counseling journey right now that has no end date. And I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine Mm. with that. I worked, I worked out a lot of the, I worked out majority of the crap those first couple years. And like, I mean, that's the first couple years where I was going to counseling, you know, twice, twice a month. And sometimes every week, like there's, and it's okay. It's okay. And there's this, you know, it's like Christian, you're a counselor, but there's a stigmatism. People are like, I can't go to counseling that much. Like something must be really wrong. Okay. Well, actually there is something wrong. And that's why we're going to counseling because something is wrong Mm. and we need to take, and like, we need to take care of it. You need to take care of it. Um, we're supposed to. Mm -hmm. No, so true. Um, and that actually leads us into the third point, which is I wanted him or her to do this to me. So Kristen, is this a lie that you hear often that people struggle with? Like, cause I've heard this in my groups, like, well, I must, because I didn't say no, I must've wanted this to happen to me. I must've wanted him to sexually abuse me or, and I'm sure that this lie I mean, I'm going to talk more about it, but this lie can do some real harm on somebody because it can make them believe they are like a dirty person, that they are, you know, just attracting, you know, bad people and they're just filled with shame. And that's all they can get out of life is, is horrible situations. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I, I don't think this is the first thing that people say, but I think when you kind of go through the process and keep maneuvering through the process of it, then we get down to this is somewhere. This belief is somewhere. A lot of times the first ones are, it was my fault somehow and so forth. But yeah, that, because I think there's so much shame surrounding this false belief. Mm -hmm. I somehow wanted this, you know, because exactly what you said, I should, I would have said no. Um, Somehow I experienced pleasure at times from it. Like that's a, that there's so much shame surrounding that admission 
that I think a lot of times people bury this um, victims of, of sexual abuse, bury this one pretty deeply. Um, I know one of the things that we were going to cover is just the fact that it is normal physiology, right? To at times you may have experienced um, pleasure within the abuse because um, because just physically speaking, your body was reacting to pleasurable stimulus, you know? And so, but I know this is a really hard one for victims of abuse to process through because it's like, well, what the heck happened then? You know, this is abuse. How could I have liked it? How could we even call it abuse if I liked it? But it is, it does not change a thing when this was not something that you were old enough to consent with, or you were old enough and you did not give consent for This is not something, this was abuse. That's what that is. And so whether there was any part of you that enjoyed it or not, but again, this just maybe one of those ones where you have to process through it. And the best thing I can tell anybody is to bring this out into the light with a safe person. Like I know you guys would say too, like we say all the time, right? Bring it into the light because all that stuff that's buried, all these beliefs that are buried, they just fester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bring and them out of the light, they're able to heal. Yeah. And don't be ashamed, especially with this one, because just like Stevie was saying, if let's say you do have a counselor and you do have to work through this and let's say this is a false belief, let's say you did have an orgasm because that's really what we're talking about. Not the only thing we're talking about, but it is one of the main things here. And let's say that happened or let's say, cause I, I hear this from human trafficking victims that they had a bond with their abuser. Like how could I love my abuser when he was abusing me? And they believe the belief, belief that they wanted this to happen. And that's not true that what you wanted was love and you wanted affection. Right. But on the other side of, of the coin when you do have and you have an orgasm you know you have to remember that god created your human body to have sexual interaction but he created it for the enjoyment of marriage and for sex to be within marriage and you're not a terrible person if your body responded that way and it's okay to admit that to a counselor or a safe person it's okay to say i had an orgasm while being sexually abused nothing is going to change about who you are and who uh, nothing is changing about who you are. Your identity has not changed. You're not dirty. You're not disgusting because that happened. Please, uh, please. Because that's something that I can only imagine I would do as in my brain would just be constantly going there Mm. and it's debilitating and you don't need that. You, you need to believe the, the truth, the truth will set you free. Do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I think like, I mean, I, I remember because I, by the time my, like, whenever my sexual abuse stopped, it was a hard stop when I was 13. And, you know, at 13, it's like, you're really, you're really starting to like figure out your body sexually. Like you're, I mean, at that point, like you're, I don't know. That's when people really started like actually dating and you're kissing and there's a lot of extra things going on, especially, especially I feel like kids today are much more sexually active than, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I feel like. That's what I, it, from what I've seen, that's what it seems to me. Um, I mean, it was still definitely going on then, but I know, I just feel like it's more progressive now, but um, even I remember whenever I was like 12, 13 years old too, like at that point, I felt like I was in I felt like I was dating this guy. And so I felt like I was in this like dating relationship 
with this dude who, you know, it's like, oh, we did physical stuff together. That's what you do whenever you're in a relationship. I mean, that's how, that's how, that's where my brain went. And I actually like, I can't remember if I said this or not in the last podcast, but like, I remember hearing a purity talk and thinking, oh, like I, I need to actually like, this is not pure. Like this relationship is not pure. And I came back from camp where I'd heard this purity talk and I put a hard stop and it never happened again for me, um, with this guy. And like, I, but at this point, like I, you know, in my head, I wanted him to do this. You know, it's like in my head, that's what I was telling myself. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm in a relationship. This is what you do whenever you're in a relationship. And I think that is very proof that the lies lay in the darkness again. And, um, you know, with my faith, it's, I don't want to give Satan any room in the darkness. And so I'm going to shed as much light into all of these places of my life um, because Satan has no room to stand in the dark. And so I don't give him that room to stand. Um, But yeah, it's not like, and clearly, you know, I went for the next, I went the next couple of years, like really thinking that it wasn't until I think I was like 16 or 17 when I started doing self-research into um, sexual abuse and molestation. And I had to like, I was that nerd that, kid that I just was so, I wanted to know everything. And this is before the web was what it is. I mean, we, we had a lot, we had a computer, but like we weren't searching like Wikipedia and Google weren't really around. Like they were, but they weren't, right. you know? And so I remember going to the library and starting to read books on this stuff. And, um, and that's never, I started kind of like my own, my, I started my healing actually then, because I wanted to absorb everything. And I remember thinking that for a good long time, they're like, oh, there's a word for this. It's, you know, it's at the time it really was like molestation. This is what this word is. Um, It's a word that still kind of gives me like the heebie-jeebies because it just, it feels that way. Like, but at the same time, it's like, that's the, that's the actual, I think it's, isn't the, it's the medical term for it. It's like the. Yes. Yes. Fondle molestation. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm that kind of, I kind of, go in that medical factual based. Like I, I need facts behind, um, which has also been really hard for me with my abuse because there's not hard, cold facts on why this happened. And so, um, so that was kind of like, that was a hard thing for me. You know, it's like, did I, did I want this? Did I not? It's just, it was such a, it was such a, it was a mind screw back and forth, um, that I really had to fight. And I would say I fought, um, through even like the first couple years of counseling too, um, of really thinking maybe this was, maybe this was my fault. Maybe I actually really did want it because like Kristen had said earlier, like, yeah, there are, we are sexually stimulated and there's a lot that is that we're, our bodies are supposed to be feeling this way. Um, they're just not supposed to be feeling this way in this situation. Well, because of the person who did the act, not because your body wasn't supposed yes. to do that. Yeah, right. I know. I mean, that's the that's like the the thing where it's like it can get twisted up so quickly where you feel like, well, I wasn't, you know, supposed to wasn't supposed to happen this way. And it's like, yeah, because they did that, not because of my body doing anything. Right, right, right. And I think too, processing through that is so important um, because you know, I think what can also come along with all of this, of course, is just this hatred or distrust of your own body and your own self. And I think part of the healing process is the reconnection of being able to be at peace with your body, understanding that there, it, 
as much as it may feel like it betrayed you, because I've heard that terminology before, that's not what actually happened. It was doing what it was made to do, meaning God gave you the ability to experience pleasure as a gift. But in the fallen world that we are in, there are times when the gifts that have been given to us are used for something um, very harmful or abused or used the wrong way. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about abuse. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I feel compelled to just add this here, but um, if you got, if you got pregnant from maybe a sexual abuse encounter, just know that that same applies here. It's, it was, that's what was so, cause I hear, I have heard this where women have said, but I was raped. How could God produce, or how could I get pregnant from a rape, such an, an a hideous act, such a hateful act. And it's because because unfortunately life is unfair and unfortunately bodies get pregnant when sperm goes into eggs. That's the way it goes. And it was meant to do that. And there's no, you know, that, that child could still be a precious gift from God. That child can still be a blessing and there could be so much hope in that child. Cause I've heard women say that they've wanted to not have that child because of the fact that um, it will be a constant reminder of what took place, but you never know. It could also be a constant reminder of God's redeeming grace and redemption. So just wanted to add that really quick. It, it's not, it's kind of off topic, but go ahead. But actually on that too, um, I, there's actually, it's actually a, a fiction, but it's based off of a real story, but it's Francine Rivers atonement child. And it's a great book. I mean, I, I actually, I actually highly encourage <laughs> every girl to read it because I think you are going to know someone in your life who's been sexually abused, rape. I mean, that's just, that's statistics. Like we just know that like one in three, like by the time you're 18, like we know this, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a really, really good book. And it talks about this act- actually atonement child that is made, you know, it's like literally made in God's image, even though through a horrible situation um, and just how the family dealt with it really good. So just kind of like a plug I love that book. I remember staying up all night and I read it. And what's the other one? Um, Francis Rivers, other one. Oh, her. That's that's a other great one that hit home big time for me as well. But yeah, both those, I would say redeeming love and atonement child. Like if you, as a female, I think everyone, every girl should read that anyways. Um, but then also, especially as a sexual abuse survivor, like, yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's based on biblical, it's based on biblical stories that happened. So, okay. So the next one and the final one is it didn't happen. It didn't happen. I must've made it up. So this is not true. It didn't happen. It did happen, but you're telling yourself I, it didn't happen. I must've made it up. Like, like as if, you know, because you were, and this often happens with a survivor and this happened with me. I had fragments of what took place. I cannot tell you the exact instance of, any type of penetration, any type of fondling, any type of that. But what I can tell you is everything that led up to it. And the moment of like me standing there naked after. And so I, this was a heavy one for me, as in, I would think about it and I would just go, no, no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. That didn't happen. Didn't happen. And I would just say, listen, Nicole, you, and I would have these conversations like, girl, you made this up. Okay. You were in there, but it was a totally different story of what happened there. It wasn't what you thought. I think you're taking it too far. And I don't know about you guys. If you ever get that, 
somersaults in your stomach when you've got something make, gives you the heebie-jeebies or like overwhelmed like that. When I, I would get that because this incident happened at my neighbor's house. So every time I drove by the house, I would feel it. And this is what rescue, well, didn't rescue me, but this is what helped me get through those times where I was like, nope, nope, that was fake. You didn't feel that. That was a weird thing. You know, just ignore it. Just let's move on. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, Kristen, if you want to go first. Sure. Of course. Um, I think that it's, it's survival. When you were describing that, Nicole, that's what I was thinking of. It's survival. Um, when we are experiencing something traumatic, it is very common that we will remember that traumatic situation in fragments and pieces. And that's because you were, your body went into survival mode. So a normal day, like to like say, let's say today is a normal day for you, right? Get up, take a shower, that kind of thing. Um, you likely will remember like everything in order and it's just no unremarkable kind of. Um, But when we're talking about traumatic situations, a lot of times it really is in pieces. And that is not because um, that situation didn't happen. Again, it was because major levels of higher level functioning shut down in order for just the basics to happen, to be going on for you to survive that situation. So um, we as therapists, especially, we believe you. We believe we can work with a fragment. We can work with just that weird feeling in your stomach. And our goal is not to make something out of nothing. That's not what I'm saying. We are not, you know, um, I don't know if I can speak for every therapist, but I think overall we, you know, we're not trying to create something that didn't happen. And we're not trying to tell somebody some, some one that something happened to them that didn't happen either. But if you come in and you say to me, I really think that I was sexually abused. I'm, I'm right there with you. You know what I mean? The goal is not to become an investigator. The goal is to honor what you're feeling and to work through that and seek healing, you know? And so um, I think I have mentioned this book before, but it's called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. And it's one of um, he is one of like the primary um a trauma specialist in um, in the world at this time. And so he wrote this book called The Body Keeps the Score. And what he's talking about is the fact that trauma is stored in our bodies. So that reaction, Nicole, that you were talking about having every time you went by that house, that is because that trauma was there. You were ha- Your body was absolutely reacting to what happened, regardless of whether or not you were telling your mind, no, 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 we can't do this. And again, I think you were doing that, of course, for survival because it was too much to bear. And that's why we need someone else or some ones, you know, like the trees of hope groups, right. To walk us, to walk through that with us, because this is heavy stuff. So um, yeah, that's what I would say. So that, so going through, it didn't happen. I made this up. This is a, a level of a feeling unreal or surreal is just, I think, survival mode. Yeah. It's trying to survive. I think that too. It's, and I, I am right there with you, Nicole. Like I had the same feelings, like mine was a literally a next door neighbor. And so, you know, there was, I had, man, I, there were many, many times where I'm like, am I just, did I just dream that that happened? And then I remember being older and like, is this guy peering through my window? Like, is he, I mean, I thought all that stuff. I mean, it was very much like, there was a, there was a, I mean, I remember coming home from, I remember coming home from college a couple of times actually, and not feeling comfortable, like in my own room that I grew up in because I was becoming a little bit more aware of what had happened. And 
you know, because it was, it was like a, like I tried to, I tried to block so much of it out. And because I tried to block so much of it out, I also was thinking, did this actually happen? Like it was, because it was fragments, fragments of memory. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like even at 38, sometimes like I love the house I grew up in and whatnot, but every now and then I'm, I'll come home and I'll randomly see my neighbor's house that, I mean, they don't live there. They haven't lived there for a very long time. Like they moved away when I was in high school um, or college, but like, I just kind of get like, yeah, the heavy jeebies just kind of like, Oh, like that's, that's his house. And I hate that that feel, I hate that that like heebie jeebie feeling stays around, but it is like our bodies literally keep, like we remember everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and like our brain might not always, but our physical, like emotional senses, like they do, they do. Yeah. I, I mean, you, everything you're saying, I just feel like we lived literally parallel lives, just clearly different neighborhoods. And I I only wonder how many of you are dealing with this? Like how many of you have the same feelings as we do, but that, that brings us to our close. Um, You know, this is such a heavy topic and we didn't want to just give you guys so much information. We want to expand upon this next month. And next month, what we're going to talk about is these false beliefs and how they can affect your life. And what are some symptoms that they can turn into? And how do you stop believing the lie and start living in truth? And does anybody want to end with anything else? Want to add anything else before we close? I think my big, again, like bring light into the darkness. And then also, if you haven't found a counselor, find one. And then also, I think it's, if you don't feel comfortable sharing, maybe even to a counselor yet, if there's a friend that you really feel comfortable or parent or just someone in your life that you can talk to now's the time. I mean, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of on the brink of tears right now, even like in this episode, because it isn't like, this is a, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. And being 38 and far removed from my sexual abuse, there's all, there's going to be little triggers and little things that are going to come up and, um, I'm actually really glad I've got counseling on Thursday night, so I'm stoked to actually, you know, and I, cause I'll process, I mean, I'm going to process this, but I'm also going to process just my daily life with my counselor. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm just really, I'm really encouraging everyone to, to find someone to talk to. I mean, preferably you want to get into a counselor because you want that, you want someone who is experienced to help you walk through this, um, walk through it and then walk like past it. And then again, kind of like through it. Um, but also, have your little posse, like have a friend group who you can share. And I mean, you don't need to share what I found. Like you don't need to share the dirty, dark secrets, dirty details. Um, but just like, Hey, can you pray for me? Like, this is what I'm feeling. Can I just, can we just, I just need someone to know where I'm coming. Like that. I feel this hardship or I feel this pain or whatever. Um, just, yeah, we've got to use our voices and we've got to, we've got, it's not, you're not supposed to go through this alone. Mm. Um, that's biblical. We're not supposed to walk through this life alone. And so I think that's my encouragement is like, find someone, just find someone process. Yeah. That's really good. And I think too, Nicole, I mean, thank God for trees of hope and the resources that are there on the website um, too. I know you can go more into that. And I just also want to just kind of throw out there the crisis text line. If you really feel like you are alone, you have no one to talk to the crisis text line is available 24 um, seven. It will, can, they will connect you with a cri- directly with a crisis counselor that can help. 
Um, they are 741741. You text 741741. You just text. Um, they change the words a lot. It doesn't, I don't think it matters, but you can type in like strength is one of the words. Just type that into 741741 and you will be connected with a crisis counselor. Um, but I love, you know, um, what, what CV said too. So yeah, there is hope. And we're going to talk a lot more about those things coming up. Also, this was, I know, a definitely a very heavy one. So just please know that you are not alone and, but reach out because this is some heavy, heavy stuff to carry all by yourself, you know? Yeah. And also I just want to add that if you're in the South Florida area specifically, well, I don't even know if they consider South Florida Boca, but if you're in the Boca area, um, in January 2022, we have a group going at Calvary Chapel Boca. Um, you know, fingers crossed that that church will still be open during that time. But should it not be, uh, we will do a virtual group. But as of right now, it's January 13th through April 7th. If that semester doesn't work for you or your schedule, we have semester three, 2022 which will be September 8th going to December 8th. That's also at Calvary Chapel Boca. We may have other groups. So please check our website at treesofhope.org for future groups, for um, healing curriculum, um, healing opportunities to get involved with, volunteer opportunities. And we have an online class that you can take at any time. You can walk through healing during any time. Um, And that is, in my opinion, if you're waiting for an actual group to start, perfect. It's perfect. It just wets your palate enough. It gets you into the information. It, it stokes your interest. And honestly, it's, it could do something really special in your heart. It could really start to get you motivated towards the next step, which I needed before I got into a group. I needed to walk through some of the healing concepts on my own. So I didn't feel so like, oh, what is all this? So We love you guys. Thank you so much for being here and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.